Censorship on social media is out of control with companies like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram eliminating prominent conservative voices from their platforms. It's an issue that many on the right have been discussing for years now. What can be done to fight back? In this special edition of Hold the Line, we'll talk to several tech entrepreneurs and lawmakers who are challenging the big tech social media monopoly by building alternatives for those who are being silenced. Welcome to this special edition of Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. If we lose the big tech battle, we will lose all the political battles that come after it. They control the spread of information. They control the pipes of the dissemination of data and facts and figures in such a way that they can shape your perception, everyone's perception about reality. And they've done this for partisan ends. We know this now beyond any reasonable doubt. They used to claim that this was just an accident. They would occasionally ban a conservative or suspend one for sharing a not PC thought or sharing something that was considered too dangerous to the ruling Democrat apparatus. And of course, the big tech oligarchs sitting atop that largely. But now we know, now we've seen what the reality actually is. Here's just a little flashback to October of 2020 when Jack Dorsey, former CEO of Twitter, was saying that there was no evidence that the New York Post story on Hunter Biden's emails was disinformation. Watch this one. Okay, for both Mr. Zuckerberg and Dorsey, who, who censored, censored New York Post stories or throttled them back, do either one of you have any evidence that the New York Post story is part of Russian disinformation or that those emails aren't authentic? Do any of you have any, any information whatsoever they're not authentic or that they are Russian disinformation? Mr. Dorsey, we we don't. You have no. So so why would why would you censor it? Why did you prevent that from being disseminated on your platform that is supposed to be for the free expression of ideas and particularly true ideas? We believed it fell afoul of our hacking materials policy. Uh, we judged in the. Well, moment. what evidence did you have that it was hacked? They they weren't hacked. We we judged in a moment that it looked like it was hacked materials. You were wrong. Surfacing, and and we updated our policy and our enforcement within 24 hours. They were wrong. It wasn't hacked material. It was true material. And it was right before an election. And it might have actually changed the course of that election. But big tech now is clearly, openly, a Democrat super PAC in action. That's the way they actually operate. And they have an understanding now of the amount of power that they wield. And this is not going to be something we can ignore any longer. You can care a lot about the border, about defund the police and crime, and you can care about uh, spending and COVID policy and inflation, all these things. If the lib, left, Marxist, social media platforms are able to continue to control the spread of information, to shut down voices that are speaking the truth or that are critics of the regime, we're never going to be able to win at the national level again. Those are the stakes, which is why the Democrats are now all in on censorship. They realize they want to use this weapon, this tool of information suppression as long as they possibly can, because it is enormously helpful to their power and their aspirations for more of it. This was just in July. President of the United States, Joe Biden, is actually saying that information on Facebook that the regime doesn't approve of is literally killing people. Watch. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? 
they're killing people. I mean, it really, they really, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And, that, and, they're, and they're killing people. That's not true, by the way, as you know. One of the dumbest lines ever uttered by any president. It's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. No, it's not. That is a lie. They were wrong. But anyway, Jen Psaki, White House press secretary, really the propaganda czar of the Biden regime, she says that you should be banned from all social media platforms. Let's just take a step back for a second here. The people that are supposed to be in charge of disseminating information to the public so they can make informed decisions and that this republic can stand with citizens who are uh, informed enough to be able to hold their government to account and to make wise decisions in who they elect. Meanwhile, the people in charge are actually saying, no, no, we want to shut down anybody that gets in our way. We want to censor them. We want to silence them. This was just in July. Jen Psaki saying you should be banned from all social media platforms, not just one. A couple of the steps that we have, um, you know, that could be constructive for the public health uh, of the country are uh, providing uh, for, for Facebook or other platforms to measure and publicly share the impact of misinformation on their platform uh, and the audience it's reaching. Uh, also with the public, with all of you, um, to create robust enforcement strategies that bridge their properties and provide transparency about rules. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others. Uh, uh, if you are for uh, uh, providing misinformation out there. It's banned from all of them, you see. They are open about their desire for censorship. The left controls the social media platforms. They run them, and they expect them to be their allies, and they have been. We need to do something about it. Or we can just continue to hear stuff like this from a member of Congress, uh, uh, Pramila Jayapal of Washington, who's saying, even banning conservatives isn't enough. Watch. It's no secret that our social media companies have been part of their algorithms promoting disinformation. And um, I think that these steps are important, but frankly, a little too little and a little too late. Um, the reality is it's not just Marjorie Taylor Greene. All over Twitter, social media, Facebook, uh, all of these companies have been using algorithms that are just about clickbait, not about truth. And so if we are... Uh, going to take on the disinformation that's out there, the big lie, and everything else that goes with it, then yes, this is a part of it, but it's got to be much, much more. Amazing, isn't it? Only one approved narrative allowed. Agree with the people in power, or they will shut you down and silence you and punish you. Or we can fight back. We can actually build our own unsinkable aircraft carriers of free speech. And that's what we want to talk to you about here on this special for Hold the Line. We've got a great lineup of guests coming up. And uh, after the break, we'll talk to Jason Miller, whose social media platform, Getter, is poised to give Twitter a run for its money. Stay with us. The 2016 presidential campaign was arguably the first national race in which Twitter played a central role. By the time the general election rolled around, then-candidate Trump had amassed a following of over 10 million people. Social media megaphone allowed him to bypass hostile news outlets and bring his message directly to potential voters. As you already know, President Trump was banned from Twitter in late 2020, a move that stunned the political world and left him without the most important communication tool in his arsenal. 
Joining me now is the former senior advisor to the Trump 2020 re-election campaign and CEO of Getter, Jason Miller. Jason, great to see you. But good to be back with you. So let's just talk about what it was like. You're on the front lines of President Trump's 2016 campaign and 2020. But let's talk about 2016 for a moment and the enormous win that he had that so many people said was impossible. How critical was Twitter? I mean, what role did Twitter play and the president's usage of that tool in his election and his defeat of Hillary Clinton? Well, it's very important, both Twitter and Facebook, and I'd say all of social media. And what I've always said is that President Trump, really his superpower has been the ability to bypass traditional media, go directly to voters. And so in 2016, that was part of the way that President Trump was able to sneak up on the the elites or the media or uh, a lot of folks who didn't see a Trump victory coming because he's able to talk directly to people and they couldn't shut him down by saying, uh, here's negative coverage in the failing New York Times or fake news CNN or any of the traditional news sources. What's different or what changed in a lot of ways, though, for 2020 is they were ready for President Trump and for our team. And so they started to change the rules of the game, whether it be the the warning labels that they would put up, whether it be the shadow banning or changing the algorithms. All these different things made it much difficult to connect directly with people. And one of the things that I think is important to know is that Dorsey and Zuckerberg both got a lot of heat from the left, particularly the progressive left, who blamed them. Uh, for essentially helping President Trump win in 2016. They said, if you hadn't, if you darn kids hadn't gone and created these platforms, then we wouldn't have ended up with Trump. And so I think that's part of the reason why you saw such the backlash from Dorsey and Zuckerberg heading into 2020, because they were trying to uh, make amends for having uh, created their platforms in 2016. How has the issue of Twitter's crackdown on conservatives progressed over the years? I mean, Jason, Um, I'm old enough to remember when Twitter claimed there was no political bias or politicized decision making about who's being either shadow banned or outright suspended. Uh, What's changed? Well, I think a couple of things have changed. Number one, they've decided that uh, they want to use their platform to help frame the world as far as what the issues are, how people look at things. This is no longer kind of the, the altruistic free speech platform. This is very much about they have a particular ideology and they want people to uh, abide by that. And so you take a look at, say, for example, Google and YouTube, uh, the way that they now put warning labels on if you talk about climate change in a way that they don't agree with. You take a look at the way that Twitter will go and actually ban people or sentence you to digital jail for a short amount of time simply for saying something about vaccines or COVID that they don't agree with. And that's part of the reason why we end up getting Rogan. You had the Robert, Dr. Robert Malone, you had Marjorie Taylor Greene both get kicked off. And then that rolls up into helping us get Rogan and then ultimately Tucker Carlson yesterday. But Buck, I think if we kind of step back here and take a look at it, it's uh, it's President Trump, I think, was right when he said last year, if they're willing to do it to me, they're willing to kick me off, they'll do it to you in a second. Now we're seeing, now that they've kicked off President Trump, really the the guardrails are off. The big tech social media companies are unencumbered for what they want to do next. Is President Trump depending on an alternative being available if he should choose to run again in 2024 in your estimation? That's a great question. I don't know if he's necessarily depending on it, but an alternative will be absolutely necessary. Uh, That's a critical function if he wants to have a chance to win in 2024, is to have this strongly developed alternative platform. Because the fact of the matter is the big tech social media companies, uh, if they even allow his new platform or some new platform that he's on to be on some of the the app stores, they're going to look for every excuse and opportunity to try to shut him down. They just 
and they, they will say it's uh, in the, the future of human civilization. They'll say asteroids are going to crash into the earth if we allow uh, Trump back on, on Twitter or on Facebook. I think it's already clear that the bans for those platforms are going to be permanent. But I think where the rubber is really going to meet the road is when he launches his own platform and to what extent that's allowed to thrive and operate or if they just look to shut it down right away. What happens, by the way, for other, you know, when you can ban a president, you can obviously ban anybody, right? So for a lot of other people, including prominent conservatives on social media platforms, Twitter and Facebook and others, uh, it would be even harder, you would think, to try to get some answers here. But is there a, uh, what happens if you get banned right now from one of these social media giants and you're a conservative and you say, hey, you know, I, I want my day in court, so to speak, right, without actually necessarily getting the legal aspect, though I know that's a part of this too for some people, my friend Alex Berenson among them. But what happens? I mean, is there like a Twitter get out of jail court you go to? I mean, who do you talk? It feels like it's all so nameless and faceless, but yet immensely powerful. Well, they do have an appeals process. Uh, I couldn't tell you the inner workings of how that truly functions, um, just for the simple fact that, that they keep that very tight and very uh, closely guarded, uh, because again, there is a lot of unevenness, and I think the way their standards are applied. I mean, just take a look at the fact that you have the Taliban, Hamas, the Ayatollah, all on Twitter, but no President Trump. And pretty sure President Trump has never killed anybody. Uh, you can't say the same thing for Hamas, uh, the Ayatollah, and the Taliban. They've killed lots of people. Senator Rand Paul, by the way, speaking of people kicked off, politician, big public figure, well-known, he explained why he was quitting, we've been talking about Twitter a lot, YouTube, obviously owned by Google, which is the subsidiary of Alphabet. Here he is saying he left YouTube over censorship. You know, I'm tired of censorship. And, you know, they say Mark Twain used to say, everybody's complaining about the weather, but nobody's doing anything about it. Well, everybody on the right complains about social media and their censorship. Well, do something about it. Let's quit. So I'm no longer going to let some punk, some snot-nosed kid over <laughs> at YouTube decide that a speech that I gave on the Senate floor is not appropriate. Or that when I say cloth masks don't work because I'm trying to save lives, because if you go into the room right. with your grandparents and wearing a cloth mask, you're going to get infected. If an 80-year-old's taking care of their wife and they're wearing a cloth mask and their wife has COVID, they're going to get infected because the cloth masks don't work. You don't say, Jason. <laughs> well, that's why I hope that we can get Senator Paul over on Getter. He certainly would be a, a welcome addition and a strong voice. I think we have about a dozen or maybe 15 senators who have joined the platform. But he's right. I mean, at this point, uh, we got to look and say where additional places to go and make our voices heard. You know, one of the things, Buck, is I never tell people, though, that they should go and give up another platform. Uh, my philosophy is, as a CEO of Getter, is that I have to make Getter uh, a desirable place for people to be. I need to make it so people want to be at Getter. Uh, yes, at a certain point, people just uh, start to give up the big tech platforms on their own. But I want to lead with our strengths and our attributes and then pull people in that way. Uh, certainly, a lot of people are saying, hey, we need to quit big tech altogether, though. We want to talk about going on offense here when it comes to free speech, Jason. We'll have more with the CEO of Getter, Jason Miller, in a moment. The past few years have demonstrated the importance of social media to the national political discussion and races all across the country. So with Twitter's crackdown on conservatives in full swing, what can be done to take back power from big tech giants? In July of last year, Jason Miller and his team launched Getter, 
a social media app designed to directly compete with the Twitter monolith. Joining me now once again, CEO of Getter, Jason Miller. Jason, thanks so much, man. Now let's talk about offense. Yeah, absolutely. So we're taking the fight right to big tech. And I think that, you know, Buck, at the beginning of this, there were a couple of philosophies that I laid out for our team. Number one, I think for too long, we've been told if you want to have some alternative platform, you can go develop it. It's just not going to be as good as big tech. I tell my team every single day, I don't care how long Twitter's been around, how long Facebook has been around. We're not judged on the fact that we're only six months old. We're judged to get what the current user experience is for these other big tech platforms. They've had a big head start on us, but we have to catch up. That's why right now, I'd say we're a marketplace competitor to Twitter and Facebook. When we launch Vision, which will be our short video format that competes directly with TikTok and with Instagram Reels, we're launching that in February. Then that's going to make us competitors to them, help with a whole new uh, demographic of younger folks who are coming on the platform. And then where we go next, where we go and launch Getter Pay, our two-coin ecosystem um, with uh, essentially a stable coin and a fluctuating coin, we launched that this summer. We're going to go a place where none of these social media platforms have gone before. And as we get into decentralized finance, we get to the peer-to-peer lending, all sorts of cool stuff that's coming that's going to completely set us apart. But the other thing that I always say and make our team remember every single day is we're guided by a simple principle that if you believe in free speech and you oppose cancel culture, then you have a home here. It doesn't matter what someone's background or their ideology. If they're on the left, they're on the right. They don't care about politics at all. We're guided by that principle that free speech has to have a safe space. And that's here on Getter. Okay, so Getter is somewhat similar as it stands right now to Twitter. I, I am, full disclosure, probably just said it's the first segment. I'm on Getter. I use Getter. Um, similar in some ways to Twitter. What's different about it for the folks out there? Absolutely. So number one, we have longer posts, up to 777 characters, longer videos. We're now up to three-minute videos. We also have live streaming now that we've started introducing in the uh, in the beta stage. So folks who are verified users, we've started to allow a couple dozen folks using that. Some of the live streams have got some pretty big audiences so far. The Where we're also going to is very shortly we'll allow an edit feature, as well as the fact that um, uh, that'll be one of the big things, but you won't have to, like Twitter Blue, pay an extra $3.99 or $4.99 a month. We're going to make that available to everybody, as well as some longer videos, a little bit closer to 10 minutes. So we have some really good features right now. The other thing, too, I think our Translate feature is much easier to use. And here's a cool thing, Buck. When you set up your Twitter account, um, or, excuse me, you set up your Getter account, you can actually import in all of your tweets, because that's your intellectual property. The platforms don't actually own that. And so when you set up Getter, you can import in all your tweets. That'll help populate your timeline. So whether you, if you have memes or videos or recordings or other things, then you have a backup of that. That's all going to come with you. It's a feature a lot of folks really like. That's really cool. I got to use that one. What kind of growth have you seen since you actually launched Getter, Jason? Absolutely. So we're the fastest ever social media platform to get to a million users. We did that in three days. Then over the course of the last few months, we got up to 3 million users. And then literally just over this past week, uh, we added on about 1.1 or 1.2 million users uh, following the additions of folks like uh, Dr. Malone and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Joe Rogan and now Tucker Carlson. So we're now up over 4 million users on the platform. Here's another cool thing. And this is another principle that I put down the beginning. I said this is going to be a global platform. If we're going to grow and really take on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, we have to go global. We got to be big. Only about 40% of our user base is here in the US. About 60% is global with about 15% in 
excuse me, in Brazil, about 10% Japan. So this truly is a global free speech effort right now. Now, what kind of resistance have you faced from the rival big tech oligarchs out there? And what are you expecting that they're going to do as you guys continue to gain steam and momentum? Well, we've seen already in some of the early stages that Twitter was actually buying ads off of us. So if you went to the App Store and typed in Getter, that an ad for Twitter would pop up, which they did that when we're only about one or two million users. So we could tell that we shook them quite a bit. Also, as we started talking about some of the advancements and Getter and some of the new features, we've noticed that Twitter's gotten a lot more aggressive in saying that they're going to offer different premiums and different features. And so we've definitely lit a fire in them because Twitter hasn't had any real advancements in quite a while. But where they have gone as far as on their spaces front with doing kind of the, they essentially did kind of a, a rip off a clubhouse we're, is different from where we're going on the video front. I think the video front is going to be more successful. I think that the otherwise, I think Clubhouse would have taken off and been uh, a big, uh, ginormous success on its own. But I think the video feature is something that, I mean, look, look at your platform. You're on video. I mean, that's that's where so much of the uh, the action, the interest is in these days. Uh, so we actually kind of uh, sit back and have a little bit of a smile. We see Twitter saying that they're going to do something new because it's literally they can't teach an old dog new tricks, so to speak. Uh, but forget her. Uh, we're still young. We're still growing. We have a lot of cool things ahead. Yeah. Well, what else do you guys at Getter have in the pipeline? And, and what are some of the, the milestones you're hoping to reach? If you have some sense of estimated timeline, you know, by all means. Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to Vision, the short video platform, and also Getter Pay that's coming up, we're also going to make it so you can import in um, uh, Instagram posts. That'll be something that we allow, very similar to how you can now import in uh, Twitter posts. So we think that's going to be a cool feature. Uh, also, as I said, expanding out live stream to a lot more people. Uh, that'll be another exciting dynamic. And also, too, we'll have cross-posting where you can uh, elect to, if you post on Getter, to then have that appear on Twitter. You know, one of the things that a lot of folks come back and say is, I got to bounce around to different platforms. And everyone wants to get away from big tech, but a lot of content creators also very much don't want to, say, give up followings or groups that they have and other audiences. So this will make it so if you post on Getter, it'll show up on Twitter, uh, which makes you really don't have to go back to, to Twitter at all. Uh, the one other but cool question, thing- Question about do, that, Jason. For people that switch over, is the, are the followers that someone has on Twitter the same exact followers they start out with on Getter? Or how does that work? Great question. So right now, so what we list are the total number of followers. So we have both the, the getter followers and the Twitter followers, so people can see your combined reach. Uh, essentially, the front end of the engineering got a little bit ahead of the back end. And so in about two weeks or so, when we roll that out, you'll see that when you post something on Getter, you've elected to also have that appear on Twitter, then the follower count that you have there is reflective of the total follower base. Uh, we also might put it in there where you can see just very clearly, uh, here's the getter specific and here's the combined numbers. So that's a little bit more clear for folks. Uh, so it's uh, so it gives you the opportunity of a, a much bigger amplification. The other thing, too, is just the fact that we are a global platform, that we are now up over 4 million. I think a lot of people may previously just had a domestic reach, whether that's just here in the U.S. or, say, uh, just in Brazil or the U.K. or wherever they might be. Now they're realizing that they're using their megaphone to talk globally, like an Enos Cantor Freedom from the Boston Celtics, who now, with the help of Getter, in addition to some of his other efforts, is taking this anti-CCP fight globally. Jason, exciting stuff. Good work. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, sir. We'll be right back with more of this special edition of Hold the Line.
left's efforts to dominate social media began largely in 2016 when they accused Russia of using Facebook to influence voters. That's back in the day when you were allowed to question the legitimacy of a presidential election, of course. What it ultimately amounted to was Russia purchasing approximately $150,000 worth of advertising, or at least people in Russia acting, we believe, at the behest of the Russian government. It's not exactly a great threat to our democracy, though, considering Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump spent over a billion dollars over the course of the campaign. Still, the moral panic over a few Russian bots and Facebook ads eventually became a broader campaign by the left to control what can and can't be said on social media. And they've seen some success. Due to the constant pressure, Democrats have managed to squash numerous unflattering stories, including the Hunter Biden laptop story, and they've deplatformed people who've been critical of the government's response to COVID-19. I've dealt with this myself, getting suspended and getting all kinds of strikes and shadow banning and demonetization just for saying things that are obviously true about the COVID regime of Fauci. Remember, it's not about spreading disinformation. It's about who decides what disinformation is. I'll take a closer look at their efforts at censorship in tonight's Buck Brief. Let's understand this right now. The Democrats have embraced wholesale the usage of social media platforms as a tool of their preferred narratives and policies. That's right, the Democrats are now at a place where they quite obviously and quite clearly want Facebook and the other major social media companies to do everything in their power to shut down whatever ideas they don't like. In fact, they even threaten, not just ask politely, they threaten some of these social media companies to make sure that they fall in line. Now, they're overwhelmingly run by not just Democrats, but really far left zealots. That's who actually runs Facebook and Google and these other platforms, Twitter. Uh, but they also recognize that they're businesses. And so antagonizing half the country might not be a great idea, but they don't care anymore. You know why? Because the Democrats demand that they fall in line and that they actively censor and shut down. They used to pretend they weren't doing it, right? because they didn't want to lose half the country in all of this. But here, for example, is Biden in November of 2019 saying that social media companies should not be exempted from being sued for the promotion of fake news. Watch. I just think that social media has to be more socially conscious of what is important in terms of our democracy. And part of that is a little... Uh, truth in lending here and making sure that everything is not about whether they can make a buck. It requires the journalistic responsibility you have. You can't do what they can do on on Facebook. You can't do what they can do and just say anything at all and not acknowledge that when you know something is fundamentally not true. And uh, I, I just think it's a uh, it's a little out of hand. And I, for one, think we should be considering taking away the exemption that they cannot be sued for knowingly engaged on in promoting something that's not true. Understand, this is the government effectively threatening the social media companies saying, uh, not only do we want you to be the truth police, think about how that goes, but if you don't do it, maybe we'll uh, make sure that you can get sued. Maybe we'll bankrupt you. Maybe we'll go after you. This is what you would expect in an authoritarian regime. Remember, it's not that you will have 95% of the media, of journalists, of newspapers 
against an authoritarian regime. That's not how it goes. That's what you had under Donald Trump. It's in fact that you will have a collusion, if you will, between the media and the regime in power, which is exactly what you have with the Biden administration. That's when you should be really concerned about not just free speech, but freedom in general. And they don't even really hide it from you. Back in May of 2021, the chief propaganda czar of this White House, Jen Psaki, said that there's a a obligation, a responsibility for the social media platforms to shut down untrustworthy content and disinformation. Watch. The president's view is that um, the major platforms uh, have a responsibility uh, related to the health and safety of all Americans uh, to stop amplifying untrustworthy content, disinformation and misinformation, especially related to COVID-19, vaccinations and elections. So, for example, would it be a disinformation, was it disinformation to suggest that the Wuhan coronavirus came from a lab leak scenario in Wuhan, China? They said it was. Were they right? No, they were not. Is it disinformation to say that the vaccines don't last more than a few months with their maximum protection and aren't very effective at all at stopping the spread of the Omicron variant of coronavirus? No, but if you said that three months ago, Two months ago, they would have shut you down for misinformation, seeing the pattern here, but they don't care. This is about power. This is about the ability to control the narrative. It's not about what's true. Democrats don't care about what's true. They don't care about the First Amendment. They want what they want. They're like spoiled children. They don't want people saying things that upsets them. They don't want people being able to challenge their sacred cows. Here's Hillary Clinton back in November of 2021 just making it clear to everybody that she thinks there should be new laws to regulate social media companies. First, we have to uh, take uh, necessary legislative and regulatory action uh, to begin to regulate uh, the way that uh, our social media and tech companies operate. You know, we had to have new rules for the industrial age at the beginning of the last century. Well, we certainly need new rules for the information age uh, because our current uh, laws, our framework, uh, is just not uh, adequate for what we're facing. And there are are a number of uh, very good uh, ideas about how to both apply existing laws and to uh, fill the gaps that uh, exist so that we can begin to try to uh, rein in some of the abuses uh, of the technology companies, particularly the social media companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they want to make sure that they restrict. Conservatives are getting kicked off. Conservatives are getting deplatformed. We're the ones who are getting censored. And the government and people in government currently and previously at the top levels are saying we want more of this. In fact, the sitting president just said recently, Social media outlets need to deal with the misinformation. Watch. I make a special appeal to social media companies and media outlets. Please deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's on your shows. It has to stop. COVID-19 is one of the most formidable enemies America has ever faced. We've got to work together, not against each other. We're America. We can do this. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Shut down free speech. Why not? The president. All right, at least one member of Congress has been vocal in her support of free speech when it comes to social media. We come back. Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn is going to join us to discuss her efforts to take on the big tech juggernaut.
Stay with us. The fight against big tech censorship has made its way to Capitol Hill, where a few brave senators have continued to push back against the power-hungry tech giants like Facebook, Twitter, and Google, and stand up for conservative voices that have been silenced on these platforms. Republican Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn has been a force in D.C. against big tech, from pressing major tech executives over their biased practices and shadow banning rules, to being the lead Republican on the App Store bill. Senator Blackburn is on a mission to hold tech giants accountable. She joins us now to explain. Senator, great to have you. It is good to be with you, and you're exactly right. I am determined that after a decade of trying, we are going to put some guardrails around what big tech can do with your data, your information. You know, Buck, when you are online, when you're on one of these social media platforms, you are the product. And it leads us to ask, who actually owns the virtual you, which is you and your information when you're online? You said in the past, Senator, that American, the American people no longer trust big tech, at least a lot of us don't. So what steps are you and your Republican colleagues going to take when you're in the majority to address that? Yes, the very first thing is establishing a federal online privacy standard. This means passing a bill like the Browser Act, which I first filed a privacy bill, believe it or not, in 2012. So this has taken a while. But what it would do is give you the consumer control over your data. If you wanted to share your information with the tech platform, then you would have to give your explicit consent. In other words, you would have to opt in. And then for non-sensitive information, like your browsing history, then you would be able to opt out. This means the tech platform could not track you. They could not mine your data. They could not share or sell your data. You would be the individual owning your data. Also, what it would do is establish one set of rules for the entire internet ecosystem with one regulator, the Federal Trade Commission. That is how we think is the best way to ensure that people are safe online. Likewise, data security so that if there's a breach, they have to notify you within a given period of time, like 48 or 72 hours, and also that there are penalties and enforcements for people that are committing these breaches. And then Section 230 is where you get into censorship, where you get into these uh, platforms that allow human trafficking, sex trafficking, drug trafficking on their platform. Reforming Section 230 so that these platforms have to be accountable for what they allow to be accessed, viewed, heard, and shared on their platforms would be the way for us to end censorship, 
end the selling of a lot of fraudulent and counterfeit products and end these cartels and trafficking organizations from using these tech platforms to handle sex trafficking or drug trafficking. Senator Blackburn, the big tech companies, of course, have all kinds of answers and responses for a lot of this stuff. On the Section 230 point, their spokespersons will go to the media, of course, and they control a lot of the media themselves, to suggest that if they don't have Section 230 protection, they will have to be even more strict in their censorship because they would then be liable. What, what's the truth of that? I mean, is it, is it enough to reform Section 230? Is, is that really the heart of this? The heart of it is the reforming of Section 230 to be more explicit in what is allowed and to be more explicit in the companies, the size of those companies that can seek 230 protections. Now, Buck, new sites like, say, Getter or Parler or some of these, they still need that Section 230 protection. They're small. They haven't stood up yet. And Section 230 was put there in the mid-90s to allow these platforms to be able to grow. Now, you have Facebook, Instagram, Meta, as they're called. You have Twitter. Uh, you have YouTube. You have Amazon. You have companies that are some of the biggest, wealthiest companies in the country. These people know what is taking place on their platform because they're constantly data mining and they are constantly surveying. So no, people realize you can no longer let them hide behind Section 230. They have to be held to account. And that is an area where we have bipartisan agreement. You mentioned Getter Parlor. There are some of these uh, conservative or really just free speech dedicated social media platforms that are finally getting some real attention, usership, and we've been talking about them here on the program. Are, are there any measures you think have to be taken from a legislative perspective to make sure that there aren't anti-competitive practices, say collusion between some of the big tech companies? We know that Parler, for example, was kicked off of Amazon web servers out of nowhere, uh, and that certainly was a huge uh, benefit to Twitter, which was Parler's primary competitor. So is there any legislation about anti-competitive practices that you foresee? Is that yeah. a concern? Yes, those anti-competitive practices are a tremendous concern to us. And yes, looking at this is something that we are doing. Uh, the open app market bill is a good example of something that will help to make the app market marketplace more competitive because what you would do is allow these apps to work with somebody other than Apple. Right now, Apple kind of has the stranglehold on that. What do innovators want? They want choice and options, and they don't want to have to give 30% of their profits over to Apple just to be in the app store. So uh, there are different uh, components that will make up basically antitrust legislation that we will be bringing forward. Many of our bills, like my app market bill, are written, they're filed, and we're going to be pushing to pass those, get them signed into law. Not sure we'll get them done this year, but I have no doubt that in 23 we will get them done. Senator Blackburn, always appreciate you making the time. Thanks for being with us. 
Thank you. That's all the time we have for this special edition of Hold the Line. I'd like to thank my guests, Jason Miller and Senator Marsha Blackburn, for sharing your expertise. Have a great night. As always, shields high.